Greetings and salutations and welcome to Full Time, brought to you by Thrush Creative, the game sports show, and the game entertainment and media. Our March 3rd edition of Full Time, covering the world of soccer. My name is Scott Nason, and as always, we are joined by co-host Daniel Scarpino. And Daniel, it's March, and certainly lots to talk about, not just in soccer, but the world in general. How you doing on this Thursday night? I'm doing great on this Thursday night, Scott, as you mentioned, into the month of March, and certainly plenty to look forward to in, uh, in this discussion. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Daniel, and uh, let's start with, well, what really is uh, the only story right now in the world and how it affects the world of soccer, this being Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, this has been going on for over a week, and the situation uh, is very dire right now and getting worse by the day as Russian troops continue their advance into the independent country of Ukraine, which is the gravest situation in Europe since World War II. Uh, personally, Daniel, I've been glued to the coverage, something I didn't mm-hmm. think that I would ever see in our lifetime, really, and certainly uh, our thoughts and prayers to all the people of Ukraine who are literally, literally fighting for their freedom and livelihood as we speak. And while you and I could probably do a whole show just on that, of course, this is a sports show focused on soccer, and this conflict has had big ramifications in the world of soccer. On Monday, FIFA announced that it was indefinitely suspending Russian representative teams, men's and women's, from all competition. Uh, This includes the FIFA World Cup, which included Russia, who was set to take on Poland later this month. Uh, Poland refused to take part in that before the uh, sanctions, if you will, by FIFA. And so that affects uh, lots of uh, different teams and athletes in Russia. And Daniel, this also affects uh, the UEFA Europa League as Sparta Moscow is the only Russian team left in either the Champions League or the Europa League. Sparta Moscow has been eliminated from the Europa League as Leipzig will advance to the quarterfinals. And you know, it really puts the world of soccer and just everything in perspective as far as everything going on there. So I wanted your thoughts, first of all, obviously on the ongoing war, and uh, we'll talk more in a little bit about how else that's affecting the world of soccer. But certainly FIFA making a good move here, I think, to uh, it's just something that you're seeing across the board as far as Russia and sanctions and trying to, I wouldn't say punish, but, you know, reacting to the situation at hand because it's just, it's very, very unfortunate right now. Well, unfortunate is uh, such a mild way of putting it because yes. every time you turn to your, your TV or you turn to your phone, which I've been getting all of my updates through it, just you can be in a moment of happiness and then it's, it's so deflating once again because your heart completely goes out to everybody who is impacted in a negative fashion by this. And it's, it's, Almost unbelievable to think the times that we're living in where things almost seemingly get worse by the day. And ever ever since 2020, really, things just continue to uh, to spiral. But when you put things into perspective, um, you, you really certainly do pray for the people of Ukraine. I'll, I'll first start by saying, Scott, that I do agree with you that FIFA got the decision correct. And we could say that it's something that almost every person agrees with in the sense that banning Russia from such competitions and events of the like is conducive to things 
such a solidarity and standing together and standing against what is collectively understood as morally wrong. The second thing I'm going to say, Scott, and I don't say this lightly, is that I'm actually disappointed in FIFA for how long they took to take the decision. And if we take a look at FIFA as a brand and organization, irrespective of being sport-related, it's still one of the biggest brands and organizations in the world, sport or not. So when you have a massive brand and organization such as FIFA prolonging and delaying morally and ethically-based decisions like this, it really is a bad look for them, at least in my opinion, because they were one of the last organizations, to my knowledge, to take this decision. So FIFA has been involved in things in the past, Scott, that have been well-documented, but when other organizations around the world, sport-based or not, came out and essentially said, look, we're choosing not to associate our brand or organization with Russia because we categorically believe that what they are doing from a principle of ethos and morality is completely and totally wrong, FIFA turns around and says, well, we'll let Russian uh, national teams and Russian clubs continue to compete. We just won't display the Russian flag or play the Russian national anthem. Right. And everyone kind of turned back on FIFA and said, look, you know, what in God's name are you doing? And then, and only then, did FIFA take the correct decision and decided that they didn't want to be on the wrong side of moral and ethical decisions that would be etched in history in a negative fashion. And then ultimately, they uh, they took the right decision. So again, I'm I'm with you on this one, Scott, for sure that they took the right decision. But if I'm being perfectly honest, I think that they were. Uh, it seemed like an eternity for me, anyways. But they should have taken that decision probably a few days sooner. Yeah, it did take a long time, Daniel, and, you know, it's not every Russian person that is Mm -hmm. guilty, Uh, certainly it's not every player, or probably the majority of players, if not all, on, you know, the men's team, the women's team, Sparta, Moscow, and all the teams and athletes that are being banned, however, with, you know, the situation at hand and the sanctions that are being put uh, down heavily on Russia, because it's you know, the NATO countries and the United States and Canada, we can't exactly send troops over there right now because that could escalate an even more uh, dangerous situation. But, you know, they're going after a lot of the Russian oligarchs, as uh, mm-hmm. many people know, and uh, that certainly affects the world of soccer and certainly affects a team that I follow very closely, my favorite team, Chelsea and their owner, Roman Abramovich, as he was kind of uh, ahead of the curve as far as stepping down over the weekend, handing uh, the ownership to a board of trustees. And he put out a statement yesterday. I'm just going to read that statement from Abramovich to uh, deal with the situation at hand. Uh, This from Roman Abramovich, the uh, I guess you can say now, Daniel, the former owner of Chelsea Football Club, he says, I would like to address the speculation in the media over the past few days in relation to my ownership of Chelsea FC. As I have stated before, I have always taken decisions with the club's best interest at heart. In the current situation, I have therefore taken the decision to sell the club, as I believe this is in the best interest of the club, the fans, the employees, as well as the club sponsors and partners. The sale of the club will not be fast-tracked, but will follow due process. I will not be asking for any loans to be repaid, and boy, does he have a lot of those to be repaid, about $1.5 billion of those. That not in the statement, that was an editorial. Going back to the statement, this has never been about business nor money for me, but about pure passion for the game and club. Moreover, I have instructed my team to set up a charitable foundation where all net proceeds from the sale will be donated. The foundation will be for the benefit of all victims of the war in Ukraine. This includes providing critical funds towards the urgent and immediate needs of victims 
as well as supporting the long-term work of recovery. Please know that this has been an incredibly difficult decision to make, and it pains me to be to part with the club in this manner. However, I do believe this is in the best interest of the club. I hope that I will be able to visit Stanford Bridge one last time to say goodbye to all of you in person. It has been a privilege of a lifetime to be part of Chelsea FC, and I am proud of all our joint achievements. Chelsea Football Club and its supporters will always be in my heart. Thank you, Roman. Now, I certainly have mixed uh, mixed feelings on this, Daniel, because, you know, you go back to Abramovich's uh, kind of rise to power before he was in Chelsea. He profited uh, during the collapse of the Soviet Union. Uh, he got in the investment game and made billions and billions of yep. dollars and ended up buying Chelsea back in, I think, 2003 and, and certainly – spent a lot of his own money on that club uh, like i said many many of that or many of that money still uh being owed to him and so i think and again it's it's the situation at hand the the world situation with you know politics and these russian oligarchs i give abramovich credit for kind of being ahead of the curve and doing all this what are your thoughts well, I agree with you, Scott, that Abramovich is certainly ahead of the curve and uh, certainly taking swift action and decisions that probably most people look looked at previously and thought that he should do. So kudos to him indeed. What I will say is, is, is a couple of things. Number one, in teaching, we, we have this sort of phrase where if we want to get a message across, it's important that we mean what we say as teachers and we say yep. what we mean as teachers. And then obviously – as I'm going to go to point number two now, the one, one of the biggest traits, if not the biggest that we can have in teaching is the aspect of humility. So on this show, I mean what I say and I say what I mean, but I have to be humble here. I don't know how this is going to impact Chelsea. I cannot give a definitive answer because you listen to one source, they say Chelsea's going to be okay. You listen to another, they say that Chelsea's going to be eventually in turmoil. So I really don't know. But what I can say definitively is that Abramovich's statement is one that kind of uh, gives a little bit of comfort, shall we say, in uh, these very troubling times. And I would have to say that he certainly said the right things in the moments in which he said them. I would agree, Daniel. And uh, they are currently trying to sell the club. Uh, certainly, uh, the asking price is very high. Uh, many outlets are reporting $3 billion. And you look at when Abramovich purchased Chelsea back in 2003, purchased for just $60 million. And mm-hmm. the latest value, according to Forbes from April 2021, was about $3.2 billion. And again, he invested about $1.5 billion into that club on his own. And you just look at the numbers for Chelsea since Abramovich was owner. He spent $2.1 billion on players, $1.16 value of players sold. There were 15 managers for Chelsea. They won 21 trophies since 2003, five Premier League titles, two Champions Leagues, five FA Cups, three League Cups, two Europa League Cups, two Community Shields, one UEFA Super Cup, and one FIFA Club World Cup. That one just uh, just won here over the past uh, month or so, and it's certainly going to be very interesting to see how this all uh, develops. But again, and, and I stress, it 
pales in comparison to the world situation. And yes. it's just, it's just, uh, you know, we're talking soccer here, so we're not going to go too much into that, but certainly, uh, lots to talk about in the upcoming weeks and months. And we'll, we'll talk about it more on our next edition of full time. Let's get right to soccer and just soccer for the rest of the show. <laughs> Daniel, let's start with the, uh, European big five leagues and let's start where we left off in the Premier League, Manchester City. Still atop the table, but not as comfortably as when we last talked. Uh, Man City has 66 points, currently six points ahead of second place Liverpool, who has played one less match. Chelsea, a solid third. However, with all the turmoil, 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 excuse me, involving their former owner, you have to wonder how that will affect their play and focus. They have 50 points. Manchester United is in fourth with 47 points. They have played two more matches than Chelsea. West Ham is in fifth with 45 points along with Arsenal. However, the Gunners have played three less matches than almost everyone up there. And you still have Tottenham and Wolves in the picture for fourth and that final Champions League position. So really, uh, this looks to go down to the wire, at least for the Champions League position. And, you know, with Liverpool's current form, they're right in it with Man City. Yeah, certainly. And on our last show, Scott, I did say that I thought that Liverpool could make the title race interesting and that they can make a push. And I still do stand with that, but I still also believe that Manchester City are going to be clear favorites to win it. Their last game against Everton, the handball with Rodri, uh, I was yep. very old spoken about it with a lot of people that I spoke to. And uh, I got into a bit of a debate with one person uh, about it uh, and on a friendly level, of course. But um, yeah, I still think that Manchester City just have all of the tools and enough going for them that even if they have a few slip-ups along the way, which they probably will do, uh, they're still going to be in a position that uh, that they can win the league relatively comfortably. But the form that Liverpool is in, it's absolutely incredible, and uh, they're an absolute joy to watch. And then, of course, that, that race for fourth place, it's completely and totally on. And if you look right now, in theory, the person in the, the people in the driver's seat, you would say, are the folks at Arsenal Football Club because they do have the three games in hand. So it's going to uh, really come down to, for that fourth position, who's going to maximize the points with the games that they have to make up. But I still do like Manchester City at the top. I still like Chelsea to hold out in third, despite what they're going through as a club. Liverpool in second. I'm hoping Arsenal to get fourth, but there's still something inside me that says Manchester United, Scott. Yeah, I think so. I think they're going to find uh, form and, and get in that top four, but it certainly will be a battle to the end. Uh, just looking at the relegation zone in the Premier League, Daniel, Burnley seems to be making a move up the table along with Watford and Norwich City. They're in the bottom three, but Burnley seems to be the team that's on the up, and they still have a couple matches to make up. Uh, Newcastle certainly in better form, and you still have mm-hmm. Everton uh, right above the relegation zone. They did just win their FA Cup match against Bornham Wood. I was really pulling for that team <laughs> out of the conference there, uh, but they couldn't uh, beat Everton at their place today. But as far as the relegation battle, you know, to me, Daniel, I think Norwich is going down. Uh, Watford looks to be the other team going down. And then that third team, hard to say. I think Burnley will find enough form to stay up. You also have Leeds and you also have Brentford now kind of in that mix. What are you looking at as far as the relegation zone? Still, you know, a couple months to play, but certainly I think that one will be a battle to the last match day. I couldn't agree with you more in terms of uh, the last statement you just made there, Scott. I also believe it's going to be a battle right to the bitter end. And what I'm going to say on this one, I've actually had debates with some folks as well, and they're shocked at what I say, and I think that you'll even be a little bit surprised, Scott, but 
Uh, we do agree that Norwich City, that they will go down. I do believe that. They do not score enough goals. They don't last in matches more than a half an hour. They don't have any it factor. So I think they are going down. The next team that I think is in most trouble is Leeds United. I do they too. Just, they just sacked Mar- Marcelo Bielsa, and they've conceded the most goals in the Premier League. The way that they play, it's great when it works. It's really bad when it doesn't. One of the analogies growing up, my father, and we watch basketball all the time, he, he used to say growing up that, well, if you, you play by the, if you know, you're going to live and die by the three. You know, if you, if you shoot a lot yep. of three-pointers, yeah, if it goes for you, that's great, but you live and die by it because if you miss, then you're going to get blown out. And that's the way that leads play in, in a soccer sense because they play so open, they try and man-mark you out of the game. But if you get outnumbered and outrun in midfield, you're, you're going to concede four or five goals a game. So I think they're in trouble. And the last one, Scott, I know this team's kind of near and dear to your heart. I think that Brentford are in a lot of trouble. They and are. The reason I say, I say that because they've played 27 games more than anybody in the fight during uh, in the relegation zone right now, and they have been in really, really poor form as of late. Not in the sense that maybe they've played so bad, but they are not picking up results. So I think that, and you know this as well as anybody, Scott, that in the second half of the season, your form tends to stick with you. So yep. if Brentford continue with this path, I think that they're in a lot of trouble because Burnley, they're turning things up. Watford, they're getting a result here and there. Everton, you know, they're, they're still in the FA Cup. Lampard just came in. They'll probably be okay. Newcastle, they're doing really well at the minute. Brentford, not so much. So I think Norwich leads in Brentford right now in the most trouble. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, Leeds certainly, and I love the basketball analogy. I think that's the perfect one for Leeds. Again, when they're working, they look great, but when it's not, it's it's like a team mm-hmm. that shoots 43 pointers in a, in a game. Uh, you're going to win some of them, but when you lose, you lose big. Let's go to Serie A in Italy, and what a race we got going there. Napoli and AC Milan atop the table with 57 points and identical records. Inter Milan just two points back. Juventus still in the picture with 50 points. You have Atalanta trying to move up the table for the final Champions League spot with 47 points, along with Roma and Lazio still in the conversation for the top four. I think of all the five leagues that we talk about, Daniel, uh, this one might be the most intense going into May. Uh, I don't know who's the favorite right now, but certainly there's a few teams you can put up there the top two being Napoli and AC Milan. Well, brother, you're spot on 100%. And last night uh, we had a game of, of our own here in the Sioux for the for our Premier team that me, myself and my friends play for. And um, one of my buddies goes, okay, listen, we got to book tickets to go and see Insigne play when he gets to Toronto. I said, look, I go, you're looking too far ahead here. I go, he might win City A this year. Napoli's top of the table right now. That's right. So that's right. It's, uh, it's incredible what's going on in Italy. The, the gap at the, at the top is so tight. Juventus is slowly crawling in that fourth position. Atalanta's, you know, just, just on the door stuff a little bit, but between Napoli, Milan, and Inter, it's, it's a riveting race. And you, you want to talk about going down to the final match day. This has all of the ingredients to get down to the final match day and, and have something spectacular happen. So, uh, in terms of the uh, the leagues that I love watching, of course, you and I both love the Premier League, Scott. But any time that there's a City A match on that has good implications, I have it on my television without question. As do I. Uh, the uh, Paramount Plus network that shows all the Champions League matches uh, along with Serie A. Obviously, Premier League is near and dear to my heart, but Serie A is right up there as well. And I'll be certainly watching a lot more matches in the weeks to come. La Liga in Spain, Daniel. Real Madrid still atop the table 
with 60 points. Sevilla still applying the pressure on Real a bit in second place with 54 points. Looks to be a two-horse race in that one as there's quite a drop-off after that. Real Betis in third with 46 points. Barcelona doing okay with 45 and looks to be a good race for the third and fourth spot. Atletico Madrid at 45 points. Villarreal 42 and Real Sociedad with 41. So it looks like you're going to have two different races in this one, Daniel. Again, lots can change, but right now Real Madrid and Sevilla for the top spot. And then you got a whole bunch of teams going for the other two spots. Yeah, that's exactly it. And what I will say is that just on feeling alone, and with La Liga anyhow, there's very few games that I do watch. Typically, they're all based around Real Madrid, Barcelona, and occasionally Atletico. Yeah. That being said, I kind of get this feeling that Real is just slowly starting to, to come away with it. They're slowly starting to get ahead. With every game that they win, you, you feel like they're inching closer to the title. Barcelona, I think that under their new manager, I think that things are starting to kind of hit the ground running again. And what I wanted to make a point of as it pertained to Atletico Madrid is that with them winning La Liga last year, based on the way that they play, because it is defensive, typically that only lasts for one season. If you're a team that constantly plays on the counter, if you play in a low block, you get sussed out pretty quick and you get figured out pretty quick. So I expected that Atletico would be really challenging for the title this year. Right now they're outside of a Champions League spot. So It'll be interesting to see what happens there, but I still like Real Madrid to continue on with what it is that they're doing. 60 points with uh, 12 games left to go, so a lot of uh, a lot of room for them to continue uh, their great run of form, Scott. Yeah, I, th- I agree, Daniel. I think they're just kind of slowly going about their business, uh, you know, getting points when they have to, and I like them to win La Liga as well. A team I like to win the Bundesliga is still on top, Bayern Munich. They've extended their lead to eight points over second-place Borussia Dortmund. Bayer holds 58 points to Dortmund's 50. Leverkusen in third with 44, followed by Leipzig, who has 40. And Freelberg and Hoffenheim still in the mix for a Champions League position. Uh, really no surprise here, Daniel. You and I have been high on Bayern Munich. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. slipped up a bit, uh, you know, for a, a couple matches. But I think they're head and shoulders above everyone else in the Bundesliga. Oh, without doubt. And and as we mentioned on our previous show, Scott, that we can expect that Bayern's going to slip up from time to time along the way, especially when you're such a dominant team. You're going to have a shock result here and there. But there's still there's just so much better than their competition. And last time we spoke, we also said as it pertained to the top four race that there were about 10 teams, give or take, that were, uh, that were gunning for the top four spot. And since we last spoke, uh, that's just kind of shrunk a little bit. And now yep. maybe it's spots four through eight, which is a little bit more realistic. But that being said, I still think Byron is 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 going to, to win this thing quite clearly. And uh, the top four race, it'll still be somewhat interesting, but maybe not as we won't have our eyes glued to it, let's say, as much as we will the Premier League uh, top four race. And there really is no race going on in League One in France. It's been this way pretty much all season long. You might as well just hand PSG the title right now. They've been atop since the beginning of the season. They have 62 points currently, and the race will be for second place in France. Marseille with 47 points, followed by Nice, who has 46, Rennes and Strasbourg, who have 45. So it looks like it's going to be a pretty good race there for the Champions League positions. But PSG will probably, I would think, clinch this by the end of March. Yeah, I would I would totally agree with that, Scott. And I also wanted to make this point, and I certainly don't, I hope that I don't, I'm not coming off as negative or pessimistic. 
If it wasn't for PSG, uh, I really do believe that you and I would not be talking about League One. I think not that we'd probably all. be talking about the Portuguese League or yep. talking about Europe's big four, never mind big five. Because as far as I'm concerned, if it's not for PSG, League One would not be considered a part of Europe's big five. So it's always been a foregone conclusion. They will continue to dominate in League One. And as we always say, it's about what they do in the Champions League. That is what matters to that club the most. Scott Nason and Daniel Scarpino with you for this March 3rd edition of Full Time, covering the world of soccer. And Daniel, let's move on to the Champions League round of 16, the second leg of the UEFA Championship Champions League round of 16 will resume next Tuesday and Wednesday. And let's look at the results of the first leg, which were played over the last couple of weeks. We talked about a couple of these on our last show. PSG uh, up one nothing over Real Madrid. Uh, the second leg will be played next Wednesday. Man City, they basically punched their ticket to the quarterfinal round as they destroyed Sporting in Portugal. 5-0. The second leg will be played on Wednesday of next week. Good result for Salzburg and Austria last week as they played to a 1-1 draw against Bayern Munich. The second leg will be played next Tuesday in Germany and Liverpool. Big win in Italy uh, over Inter Milan 2-0. The second leg will be played this upcoming Tuesday at Anfield. I believe we talked at least about a couple of those matches, if not all of them, Daniel. But uh, really the only big surprise there was uh, maybe... Well, I wouldn't say maybe, but almost certainly Salzburg almost winning that match against Bayern sure. Munich. Now, of course, they're in good. They'll they'll be all right, I think, because they'll have the second match at home. But really, other than that, no big surprises of those four ties. No, definitely no real big surprises. What we expected to happen did happen for the most part, and I think that Bayern would have saw what they saw from Salzburg in, in the second leg. They're going to sort it out quite clearly. City will continue to they'll, – they'll probably just play their entire second team. They could get away with that, no problem. Right. And uh, Liverpool, I think, will, just, will do what they have to do in that game to, to see themselves over the line. And then I still do believe, as I know that you do too, that uh, PSG will beat uh, Real Madrid. So – what we expected to happen for the most part did, and uh, what we expect going forward uh, as of next Wednesday and next Tuesday uh, will probably happen as well. The other four matches, which we haven't talked about on this show, Chelsea, they took care of business at home at Stanford Bridge as they win over Lille 2-0. The second leg will be played on Wednesday, March 16th in France. And the other three all draws. Villarreal played to a 1-1 draw at home against Juventus. The second leg will be played on Wednesday, March 16th in Italy. Juventus desperately trying to get to the Champions League final and win their first one since 1996. Another 1-1 draw between Atletico Madrid and Manchester United. The second leg of that tie will be played on Tuesday, March 15th at Old Trafford. And finally, Benfica and Ajax. They also played to a 2-2 draw in their first match in Spain. The second leg will be played on Tuesday, March 15th in Amsterdam. Uh, Chelsea should, I would think, take care of Lille in pretty good order. But those other three, Daniel, they're really toss-ups to me. I like Manchester United, being that the second match is at Old Trafford. Uh, Juventus probably should be favored uh, over Villarreal, considering they have their second match at home. And Benfica and Ajax, who knows what's going to happen there. But again, no way goals this year. So it's going to be just results. And uh, you could maybe see a couple of those ones go down to penalty kicks. What are your thoughts on those four matches? Well, on your first point about Chelsea, I definitely agree. I think that Tuchel will go 
uh, and, and play against Lille in the second leg and just get 10 men behind the ball and see this one through. I think with Juventus and, and Villarreal, Juventus has enough creativity to, to break down Villarreal's low block. So I think from a tactical point of view, Juventus should get through. Ajax and Benfica, that's one that I, I also believe will probably end up going to penalties. I think we could see that one go the distance for sure. And with everything else going on in the world, it needs not be said that soccer is, as Jurgen Klopp stated before, it's the, the most important thing of the least important things in life. That being right. said... If, uh, if Manchester United lose this tie against Atletico Madrid, you will probably see people outside Old Trafford protesting because the discontent at that club right now is probably at an all-time high. So we'll see what happens in that tie. Still like United to go through, but they kind of play like the boy who cried wolf. They always pull themselves back late in matches, but how long can that really continue? So that tie for me is still the most interesting of the four. Daniel, let's move on to the Europa League. We are down to the round of 16 in the Europa League. We already talked about Leipzig going through to the quarterfinal round after FIFA and UEFA banned Sparta Moscow because of the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine. The other matchups will start next Wednesday and Thursday. They will see Porto facing Lyon. Porto advanced in the previous round over at Lazio, 4-3 on aggregate. Real Betis will face Frankfurt. Real Betis took out Zenit. St. Petersburg, 3-2. Sevilla, they will match up against West Ham United. Sevilla advanced in the previous round over Dinamo Zagreb, 3-2 on aggregate. Barcelona, not used to playing in the Europa League. They actually had to play in the opening round. They took out Napoli, 5-3 on aggregate. They will take on the Turkish side Galatasaray. This matchup I love right here. Rangers out of Scotland, who surprised Dortmund the previous round. They will face Red Star Belgrade. A very intriguing tie to me. Braga out of Portugal, who won in penalties in the previous round over Sheriff out of Moldova. will take on Monaco and Atalanta, who had an easy time against Olympiacos in their previous round, will face Leverkusen. Uh, to me, I, I've, I've always been a big fan of the Scottish League when I lived over in Europe. Daniel, uh, I actually visited at Glasgow, and uh, mm. I made the mis- I made the mistake again. I didn't know too much about the whole uh, situation with Celtic and Rangers, but let me tell you, there's a lot of bad blood between those oh, two yeah. clubs. And uh, funny story, I was wearing an orange coat, just an orange coat. I, it was nothing to do with any soccer club or anything. And we went into a Rangers bar, and I'll never forget. Or, I'm sorry, into a Celtic bar, and I'll never forget. There was this old Scottish gentleman sitting at the bar. And, you know, quite a few people were staring at me. I'm like, okay, they not like me because I'm American. He goes, "That's you're in a Celtic, Celtic pub. I'm like, well, what does that mean? It's like, well, you're wearing an orange coat. Well, I found out uh, after that that uh, those two clubs have a lot of animosity towards each other. And certainly you have the Catholics and the Protestants and, uh, you know, centuries of religious hatred. But uh, I've always been a big fan of the Scottish League. It's kind of dropped off over the years. You don't see teams advancing too far. And as a Celtic fan, I'm, I'm kind of pulling for the Rangers, despite all that I just said. But other than that, Daniel, uh, any uh, interest or interesting uh, matchups there that you're looking at? Well, I would say, I mean, your story certainly is the most interesting of all of these ties in the round of 16, <laughs> Scott. But I, what I will say, more than what I'm looking forward to in the Europa League of, of the ties that we see here, I want to make note that, yes, it is a step down from the Champions League. We understand that. But there are still some really good teams in here, like really good teams. Porto is a good team. Barcelona is a good team. Sevilla, good team. Leipzig. Good team. Real Betis, you could say, is a, is a pretty decent side. Rangers, they, they just upset Dortmund. Atalanta is a great side. And Liverpool is a great side, too. And there's arguments to be made for a few other clubs. So 
I, I'm not looking at any one particular matchup, but what I will say is that having watched Arsenal in the Europa League over the past few seasons, I will say that the quality of, of, of football in the Europa League is still quite high. If anybody gets a chance to watch uh, a little bit of, of football on a, on a Thursday night, definitely take the opportunity to do so because there's some decent matches that can and will be played. Yeah, if you, uh, at least stateside, Daniel, on the CBS Sports Network, they have uh, what's called the Galazzo Show, where they actually mm-hmm. bounce back and forth from all the matches. It's absolutely so much fun to watch because you're seeing all the goals, and certainly that's a great way to watch the Europa League. They do that with the Champions League in the earlier rounds during the group stage, but if anyone wants to watch the Europa League and maybe doesn't want to focus on one match, go to CBS Sports Network and watch the Galazzo show. They'll have it here on, uh, I believe, Thursday of this week, so it's certainly a lot of fun. Scott Nason and Daniel Scarpino with you for this March 3rd edition of Full Time. And Daniel, over the weekend, the Carabao Cup final was played at Wembley on Sunday. You and I were texting back and forth. I'll tell you what, for a 0-0 match, that had as much entertainment and high-class play that I've seen in quite some time. Liverpool yes, would sir. end up winning the Carabao Cup over Chelsea in a penalty kick shootout, 11 to 10. <laughs> 11 to 10. Every goal scorer, every kicker, every striker, whatever you want to call them, they all scored. And uh, the decision was made by Tuchel to put in Kepa. I can never pronounce his last name, so I just call him Kepa. And he not only didn't save any of the 11 penalty kicks for against Liverpool, but he missed his penalty kick. Liverpool wins the Carabao Cup, their first trophy of the season. Chelsea already has won a trophy with the FIFA Club World Cup. But again, Daniel, you know, a lot of people kind of, say, ah, it's a League Cup or whatever you want to call it now. It's the Carabao Cup. It doesn't mean something. But tell that to the players that were on the pitch on Sunday at Wembley. That was just, that was, I mean, even though Chelsea lost, that was just a great match. Oh, man, you took the words right out of my mouth. Tell that to the players of Liverpool who were celebrating after the game along with Jurgen Klopp and his staff. That is a, it's a big moment in their season because that gives them a lot of confidence to spur their way on and say, you know what? Maybe this is just trophy number one of X amount. Maybe they can get a second, possibly a third. So during the course of the game, we were texting a lot, Scott, as, as you just mentioned. And I tweeted during the game that I was loving this match and I honestly couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then at the end of the game, I put out on Twitter that this was the most entertaining goalless game that I've ever seen in my life because I my agree. memory, e- even now, I cannot remember a nil-nil game where I thought to myself, this is unbelievable. You had VAR involved. You had disallowed yep. goals. You had offsides. You had uh, potential red cards. You had hard tackles. You had uh, 85,000 screaming fans at Wembley. There was nothing not to love about this game. I thought that the decision to put Keppa in for the penalty shooting on Tuchel's part, it worked out once. It didn't work out this time. I thought because Mendy stood on his head, I thought he was just going to stick with him. But in the end, 11-10 to 10 in penalties. As a neutral fan, I loved it. Obviously, if you were a fan of Liverpool, you certainly loved it. And as Chelsea fans, uh, of course, you could attest it was a little bit more difficult. But the game itself, yep. the quality in that game was just unbelievable. And I don't know if we'll ever see a game quite like that again. But that was uh, an afternoon well spent, I will tell you right now. 
Yeah, a lot of entertainment, and certainly it's been a difficult few days for us Chelsea fans. That's <laughs> yeah. for sure, Daniel. Just one other thought on that. You mentioned VAR. We haven't really talked about that since you and I have hooked up for this show too much. But, you know, early returns on VAR, there was, you know, a lot of people, and there still are, I think, a lot of people that aren't a big fan of VAR. Uh, you know, I think they've really been able to tweak it a bit where it doesn't interfere as much in the game, and you're obviously going to have those uh, decisions that are made that certain fan bases are going to be upset about. But uh, as far as VAR, how it's being used, and uh, what are your thoughts right now? I would say VAR isn't in and of itself. I really do like it. Anytime that I have this conversation with anybody, I always say, look back to the 2018 World Cup. VAR yes. for me was 10 out, of, 10 out of 10. Like By far, it was un, it was unbelievably utilized and was utilized in the right application in the right way. I think the problem with VAR in certain moments anyways, particularly when we look at the Premier League, it's not actually to do with the system of VAR itself. It's actually the inconsistencies of referees. So if you increase the standard of officiating VAR, it's quite on par with what it needs to do, which is why at the 2018 World Cup, it was so, so good. At the Euros, it was so, so good because you have the best referees. So VAR, as, as a mechanism, once again, Scott, I really do like it, and it's there for the right reasons. But sometimes if you don't have the standard of officiating to match it, it does kind of look bad. So I would say, overall, I'm a fan of VAR, but you need the, the officials to, to match the quality, let's say. I think that's an absolutely great point right there, Daniel, and I would agree. Yeah, you, you, you said it right there when, when it was introduced in 2018. Again, you have the best of the best as far as officials, and when you – start to see it in some other leagues and competitions where you don't have the best of the best. That's yeah. when the fans and things start to get off track. So I would agree with you 100%. At one some point, Daniel, we're going to have to find something we disagree on because we just agree no too kidding. much. But I, I like to say <laughs> great minds think alike, so we'll go with that. Daniel, let's finish yeah. with Major League Soccer as its season began the last weekend in the United States and Canada with 28 teams participating this season. On our last edition, Daniel, you and I talked about, you know, following, or especially me, following the MLS a bit more. And uh, as a, as our listeners know, you're a Toronto FC fan as they played to a 1-1 draw this past Saturday, Saturday against FC Dallas. There are three Canadian teams this season, including Vancouver and CF Montreal, the newest team, Charlotte FC, they fell to DC United 3-0, and uh, I've certainly done a lot of thinking as far as the club that I'm going to follow. I sought advice from my wife and my kids, and uh, you know there, there were a few in the mix, and I came up with one of the charter members of the MLS. I believe there were 10 teams that are still playing that were charter members back when it started in the mid to late 1990s, and so the team that I'm going to follow, that I'm going to be a fan of, I think potentially the closest geographically to Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan. I could be a little off on that. I'm a member and a fan, Daniel, of the Columbus Crew. Well, get in there. Well done, Scott. Yeah, I mean, great stadium. The U.S. uh, men's team plays a lot of their uh, national matches there. The crew did win over Vancouver by the score of 4-0. And so certainly Columbus, you know, Daniel, not exactly a soccer hotbed when they first started. Actually, when the crew started back in the mid-90s, they actually played at Ohio State's football stadium with seats 100,000. And that's one of the things I think the MLS 
did uh, b- very well when they started. They played in all these big cavernous uh, football stadiums, and you just didn't have that atmosphere. But I think pretty much the majority of the teams outside of a couple in Atlanta, they play in a football stadium, but they also mm-hmm. packed that football stadium. So I like I like the uh, just soccer built stadiums that the MLS has done. Uh, so I am a fan of the Columbus crew. What are your thoughts on that and just the opening weekend of the MLS? Well, I would say first and foremost, it's a great choice and it's a great choice from the point of view that it's uh, they are a decent side and they're always entertaining to watch. So I would say certainly a good choice on your end, Scott. Uh, I would also say that even if I reflect back to my time when I was in high school, I'd, I'd you know, at my old house anyways, when, uh, uh, you know, we would watch MLS games all the time and the the fields, like you said, you know, they're playing on these just awful pitches or if it's a football stadium, whatever it might be, it didn't seem like there was much there, but now you take a look at the pull that the MLS has and how many people are really switched onto it. There's packed stadiums all the time. And again, I don't mean to, 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 you know, be negative towards baseball, shall we say, but baseball stadiums don't sell out like that in America, nope. but you know, MLS stadiums, they do on a consistent basis. So I think that we're really looking forward to, as we mentioned previously, Scott, that we're going to have a really good year with the MLS. I got the chance on, on the weekend to watch Toronto FC play, but unfortunately I was only able to watch the first half. I then had to go and coach, but I do like the look of Toronto. I don't think that they're going to win uh, this year, but they'll certainly be in the playoffs and with the arrivals that they have and the players that they're still looking to get, I still like them to do, uh, to do some good in the league and in the years coming forward. I think that we could be looking at uh, a bit of a dynasty from from a soccer perspective, shall we say. And one other thought on the MLS, Dan, you mentioned baseball. And, you know, we're not going to see baseball for a while due to the lockout of uh, owners on the players. And this, I think, is a real good opportunity for the MLS to uh, start to make a little more inroads uh, in the United States and Canada because you're not going to have baseball. And you've seen, and you and I have talked about this. I don't know if we've talked about it on the show. But you're seeing more and more here in the United States uh, soccer on major networks, uh, Champions League, not on CBS Sports, but on the CBS main network. You have the Premier League on the NBC major network. You also have La Liga on ABC. And with this year being the World Cup, this is a good opportunity, I think, for the MLS. Are they going to be in that top four with the NHL, the NBA, the NFL and Major League Baseball? Probably not, at least right now, but and they may never will, but this is a good chance to maybe draw some of those fans that maybe are frustrated with baseball, I being one of them, how their owners and players can't seem to figure anything out while they're all getting very rich while not figuring mm-hmm. it out. I think this is a good opportunity for the MLS to uh, maybe get a little more attention and draw more eyes to their product. I would say so, without question, because any step forward that the MLS could take at this point, given the current state of what else is going on, I think is actually a huge step forward. So, um, yeah, I definitely think that they could pull more people towards the sport. And I think that even just with the natural progression of the league, regardless of what it is that is going to happen moving forward, I think that the MLS is already in a good position. And anything, like I said, that they do moving forward, it's actually a big step in the right direction. So they could definitely get more pull as time goes along. And like I said, this, this league continues to grow and uh, it's, it's huge because again, it's in our own backyard and it's something that I certainly love to see Scott. Scott Nason and Daniel Scarpino with you for our March 3rd edition of full time. And uh, as the snow starts to melt, if it starts to melt, we'll get more mm-hmm. into the local 
uh, soccer scene. Uh, anything to add from that front, Daniel? I know it's a pretty quiet time right now for local soccer, but anything you wanted to add before we end today's show? Uh, not too much, really. Uh, in terms of the uh, uh, academy that we're working with through Northern Heights Soccer, we're starting our second block of uh, of training come March 26th. So we just finished this past Saturday with uh, with our sessions, and block number two starts March 26th. So anybody who's looking to register for any training sessions, take a look at uh, nhsc.ca for uh, registering children in youth youth uh, sessions for. Um, for soccer and apart from that not too much Scott just really happy to be back playing on a consistent basis refing and coaching is uh it's definitely where we want to be and it's what we want to be doing so that's uh that's what I have for an update here in uh in the Sioux and we will have uh high school soccer coming up here stateside uh sometime in late April more than likely May because the fields right yep. now better get the snow blowers out because they are covered with snow. Daniel, always a pleasure to be joined by you on full time. We'll do this again in a couple weeks. Uh, certainly uh, lots to talk about. And as always with soccer, there'll be a lot more to talk about here in a couple weeks. Uh, thanks for joining us and we will talk to you in two weeks time, sir. I uh, can't wait for uh, the two weeks to pass so we could talk about it again. And a huge thanks to everyone who listened in. I uh, really appreciate all of uh, all the love and support. So uh, continue to support us and we'll continue to deliver content. Yes, we will, and we do give a big thanks to our listeners. Our shows are very well listened, all on the Game Sports Show platform. Again, if you want to find uh, this edition of Full Time or any previous editions, along with all our other shows on the Game Sports Show and the Game Entertainment and Media, you can go to the website, thegamesportshow.com, thegamesportshow.podbean.com or just go to your favorite podcast platform, Spotify, Apple, iTunes, the list goes on and on. Just type in the Game Sports Show and you will find all sorts of sports content, not just on the world of soccer, but basically on everything, not just locally and regionally, but nationally and internationally. That's going to do it for this March 3rd edition of Full Time. For Daniel Scarpino, my name is Scott Nason. We will talk to you in a couple weeks here on the Game Entertainment and Media.